1: Good afternoon, everyone. This is Nishad Gadani coming to you from Melbourne. And today is 166th episode of Career Care Package. And on today's episode, we are talking about taking risks, not going right now outside in Melbourne because it's going to be stormy very soon, but taking a big leap of faith from having a great career, great job, to leaving it for you know, starting something on your own. It's a huge risk that anybody uh, you know, takes in their life. And we are talking about what was behind the motivation of taking the risk, but also what were some of the learnings that Gautam had when he started INCLE, um, you know, a few years back. So we'll be talking and discussing that uh, you know, ideas with Gautam. But before we start to Gautam, let's welcome Caroline Brown.
0: Thanks, Nish. And I'm actually coming live from Sunny Painesville today, where we started off our broadcast for Career Care Package, where you're in India and I was in Gippsland. So yeah, it's fantastic to be here and really excited to be talking to you today, today Gautam, because I I think everybody has a fantasy about starting their own business and it kind of has beers at one o'clock and bean bags and table tennis and starting in a garage and all of that kind of stuff. So It'd be fantastic to unpack some of those myths with you today and find out a lot more about um, Inkle, the the business that you co-founded. A pleasure to be here
2: I look forward to sharing all of that with you. Thank you for having me.
0: Fantastic. I guess a great place to start would be to tell people about Inkle and you know what it what it does and and the problem that it solves and and why you started it.
2: Sure. So Inkle is a global news platform. And we saw a big problem for consumers in terms of getting access to reliable information from around the world. In about 10, 15 years ago, most people would just go directly to one publisher and get most of their news from just that one publisher. As the world's got more global and more connected, most of us find ourselves needing news from multiple sources. And what that normally looks like for most people is getting news through things like social media. Hmm. And we saw that being quite problematic because social media is not a vetted platform. It's an open platform by design where anyone can say anything. And in that sort of an environment, you have a lot of um, risk around the kind of information because you don't necessarily know who is telling you what and you know which information you can rely on, which ones you can't. And then these algorithms and these systems are not really designed so much to inform people, much more to build connections and, you know, sort of... And create a social connection, really. So um, so we felt that there was a need for a global platform that would be designed expressly just to inform people. And it's a vetted platform, which means that you only get news sources that uh, have been credentialized and, uh, you know, reputed and uh, providing reliable work with trained journalists. Now, if they make a mistake, they correct the record. Um, so they issue corrections and, uh, you know, they vet and check all their news stories. And so that's what Inkle does. It's a global platform. We've got readers everywhere, um, and so everywhere except North Korea and the Vatican. Um, so are <laughs> yeah. they connected? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and you know the, the sorts of sources that we work with, are, you know, the New York Times, the Financial Times, Economist. So we've gone out and done partnerships with all of them, so we can provide news from all these sources with a single subscription. And mm-hmm. it costs $15 a month. There's about $10,000 of use mm-hmm. on the platform. So it represents a um, an affordable alternative for people who can't afford to buy multiple subscriptions. But mm-hmm. beyond the cost saving, you know, and the convenience of having it in one place, really there's the reliability of the information, which, you know, as we've seen in the last year in particular, is a growing problem with misinformation, not just about politics, but about things like coronavirus and, you know, um, all sorts of issues coming in now.
0: Mm. So have you seen the sort of, you know, there's there's all that, I guess, you know, the Donald Trump fake news, but also um, a lot of the news around the quality of information that you get from social media, and that's been a big driver behind the success of Incool?
2: Yes. So for us, ultimately, there are two reasons why people come to Incool. One is, yes, they're looking for a better source of information. And, mm. you know, they want news without the clickbait, without the ads, without all the noise that exists on the internet, and particularly in the social realm. Mm. And Inco provides a you know, sort of refreshing alternative to that, where we don't just have negative news. We have good news stories, and we have journalists mm. curating feeds. And we have a section that we've just launched called Analysis, which is really going behind the news and, you know, sort of longer reads of 2000 words that are explaining why things are showing up in the news and what's driving the news. And mm. so... Um, That's one, and then the second one, as I mentioned earlier, is the cost-saving, because we've seen a lot of the publishers putting up paywalls, and, you know, that's that's really great, because it appeals to the people who are loyal readers of a particular publication, Mm. but for, you know, the bottom 90%, right, that aren't visiting any one news website regularly enough to buy the subscription, the idea of buying four or five, six subscriptions is not really financially sustainable. And mm. so we're giving them a way to pay for news and in the at the same time, you know, providing a sustainable model for the industry. So every time someone buys a subscription, we pay the publisher. And that's mm. a way for the publishers to keep paying journalists so that the work can keep getting done because ads don't generate enough revenue to be able to pay journalists.
0: Mm. Sounds like a great model. So you came from a, a successful role, a corporate career at um at news to start at fairfax, fairfax yep. sorry oh god i'm sorry about that mistake but um tell me like how hard was it to do that like come from something that was stable successful to taking the plunge yourself
2: yeah i mean look it's pretty big change obviously um and you know when you uh, the most immediate question is the opportunity cost, right? Cause you've got a stable salary and then you don't know how long it's gonna take for something to take off and when you'll be able to recoup that income. Uh, but ultimately for me, the decision came down to two things. One was, you know, there was a very large opportunity and there's two and a half billion people reading news online and a large and growing proportion of the people reading news online have these issues that income solves. So there was a very large financial opportunity for whoever solves this. I happened to be in the right place at the right time, having worked at Fairfax, having had a lifelong sort of fascination and love for news. Um, and the other piece is, you know, I had a very strong belief in the societal sort of need for this service, right? The, the mm-hmm. purpose of Inkle is ultimately to ensure that people around the world are making informed decisions so we can move past this current sort of dead end where we're debating whether things are real. You know, we're having debates mm. about whether you should vaccinate your kids, about whether climate change is real, about whether, mm. you know, gender equality or gender inequality exists. You know, like all these sorts of things that we're discussing and debating, we need to get past the debate and get on to fixing them. Mm. And so for me, it was a combination of those two things. So sort this of saying is a big financial opportunity that I'm pretty well qualified for, but there's also a very large societal need here. And that ultimately is what made me decide to do it.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, just wanted to welcome Balin and Balin saying that all media, the printed or electronic, always takes fancy to the negative news. Um, yeah, Will Balin take <laughs> so that as a comment. As Tony yeah. Johnson saying in the Q and A. You know, so tell us about the initial. You know. Uh, you came here. I think uh, we briefly spoke before uh, the session. You came here from US, and you know, you came here. Tell us about the initial journey in Australia, because you know, although you know, US is a Western democracy, Australia is also a very advanced country, but you still find a lot of cultural difference. Tell us about your your initial days of adjusting to Australian lifestyle, Australian work, and environment.
2: Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in India and then I went to the U.S. to study journalism and I lived in the U.S. for about 12 years before moving to Australia. Um, my move to Australia was precipitated by the fact that i met an Australian girl and got married over in the States. And so we we came here for the wedding um, and it just so happened that when we moved to Australia, that was when the global financial crisis hit. And so we decided we'd stay in Australia for a year and just sort of weather the storm. And that was, you know, 12 years ago So so. Um, and and I guess you know that, yeah so they they're both Western democracies as you say but there's there, there are some pretty big differences. Um, the first one is there's a couple of zeros missing on the end of every number. You know if you move from the US over to Australia, and uh, that you know that takes a little bit of adjusting. You sort of you know quite literally I was coming from a country where, which had a billion people. I went to a country which had three hundred million people, and then came to a country which had twenty-five million people. Right, and so. The the scale of things is um, something that takes a little while getting used to it. Mean, you look at something, you say, is this a big number or a small number? Is this a big issue or a small issue? I can't really tell. Um, mm. And so, so there's a bit of that. There's also, I think, culturally, um, there are differences because there's a, there's a much lower level of competition in Australia versus the U.S. or versus India where, you know, in India, if you take a college admissions, for instance, right, it's incredibly hard to get into one of the top colleges because there are you know i think the indian institute of technologies i think the hardest school to get into in the world because there's 100 hundred thousand people applying for the one spot um and so you know whereas in australia i think we're fortunate that you know while there is obviously competition and you have to work hard to succeed but it's not it's not the same huge numbers of people that you're competing with so there were some pretty big differences yes
0: and how did you um overcome those differences? what What did you do to sort of settle in and and feel that you you could make a difference and accelerate your career? Look, I mean I
2: think for me, initially it was just uh, focusing on the work, right? So I had transferred with the same company from their New York office to the Sydney office. Um, and so you know the the nature of the work that I was doing was the same. So it's actually the same. But ultimately, a lot of it came down to putting in the hours, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in sort of the power of just, you know, sitting down and working your way through it and having a strong work ethic. And so, you know, I remember having a few uh, all nighters in my first year and just you know, trying to get up the learning curve and understanding. But, you know, it was really funny because in the first few weeks and months, I would make notes when people would say something at work and I didn't want to sound stupid. So I wouldn't ask <laughs> them right away. I'd come back and have a uh, chat with my wife about it and say, well, what, what do they mean by this? Um, so I remember, for instance, someone said they wanted to meet me in Diablo, and I didn't know what the <laughs> So was. But, but it was said so casually that, you know, of course, you know what the Avo is. And I was thinking, well, where is this arbor? And, you know, how do I get there? <laughs> I've never seen one of them. And so I didn't say anything at the time. And I came home and I asked my wife, and I'm like, so where's the arvo? What's an arvo? And, and she explained it to me. So there's those sorts of things that, you know, take a while to get used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think ultimately you just, you know, like any new culture, any new environment, I mean, I've had the good fortune of living on four continents now. And, you know, in yeah. every instance, you sort of find you just have to invest the time and effort.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. funny with, um, in Australian slang, you, you know that you've settled in here when you know the difference between putting an O or an IE on the word end of a word. So it's not RV, it's avo but I don't know how that rule yeah, applies. Yeah. <laughs> it just becomes instinctive after a while. So, yeah. Sorry, I mean, yeah.
1: Sorry. yeah. Uh, in, in fact, uh, you know, I only knew before I came here that in India we shorten people's name and say, you know like literally shorten people's name to to make it convenient after i coming here i found out that people shorten here you know large part of you know people's name is being shortened like you know you know dennis is called dino uh the, the, to to daniel andrews is yeah, called jonathan it. becomes jono,
2: jono yeah. you know
1: this <laughs> is absolutely fascinating you know so we got a question for you from uh, in the pit. um What difference uh, do you see between Australian market compared to American market in terms of consumer acceptation towards your product, uh, you know, Gautam?
2: Look, I think there's a couple of differences, right? So one is, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot less competition. If you think about the Australian economy, you've got primarily you've got your four banks, you've got your two supermarket chains, you've got, you know, two main retailers. Right. I mean, the, the level of competition here is much lower. The level of inertia is much higher. And so for any entrepreneur who's starting a new business, you always have that inertia to overcome. Whereas in the U.S., um, there is a lot more movement within every product category, within every SKU. There's a lot of change, there's a lot of innovation. So there is much more a culture around experimentation and looking for what else is new. And the other thing also is if you just look at the technology adoption curve, right, um, and you say, you know, your top 10% of users are going to be early adopters and any new technology, when you're dealing with a smaller market, that's a much smaller pool of people, right? So again, if you're dealing with people, a billion people in India, 300 million people in the US, you know, you can still have a very substantial population that consists just of early adopters. And so that's something that you have to think about. One of the considerations for us with Inco for that was, um, you know, do we build this, and really focus on providing news to people in Australia, or do we focus on the global market? And the idea of building a product for a global audience is is very scary because there's a huge amount of customization, particularly news that's required. You know, if you're sitting in Korea or you're sitting in Italy or you're sitting in Colombia, you know, you want different news. And so, but we decided to do that work upfront because we felt that this market was gonna be too small.
0: That makes sense. So when yeah, okay. you launched your business, how, what? when did you decide on the timing? Did you have it as a side project or did you go all in straight away? How did, how did that happen?
2: So I um, the idea came out of the work I was doing at Fairfax, right? So my role at Fairfax was head of strategy, data, and research. And so I was looking at what was happening in the news industry and, how publishers were struggling to make money. And I was then asked to set up and run the paywalls for the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age. And so I was running the online subscription business called Fairfax. And in the process, I was speaking to users and finding out that there were a lot of people who weren't willing to buy those subscriptions. So the question for me really became, well, what do you do to convince those other readers to pay? And so Incult was really, you know, sort of a continuation of the work I was doing already at Fairfax. It wasn't a big departure. And then really it became a question of who's gonna sit down and do the work, right? Mm-hmm. Because. Um, there's a lot of work to be done in terms of designing a business model and thinking about what the product's going to look like and convincing publishers to come on board. Um, even before you then start thinking about what does this look like as a business, how do you raise capital, how do you fund marketing? Even just, you know, upfront, there's quite a lot of work to be done. So it was not something that really could be done on the side as a side project. Mm. Um, I, made, uh, so I made the decision early
0: on to leave the company and then work on the Sorry, I missed the last bit that you said, I'll just.
2: No, I was just saying like it wasn't something that would was very easy to do on a part-time yeah. basis. And, yeah. you know, I felt strongly enough. I mean, for me, ultimately, the conviction came from looking at the math, looking at the numbers. You know, yeah. I, it was, since it was so closely tied to the work I was doing at Fairfax, I was pretty strongly of the view that this was the model that was needed and that would yeah. ultimately prevail. And so I didn't have a lot of doubt about the idea itself. Yeah, There were a lot of questions, obviously, about, you know, execution risk, particularly trying to do this based in Australia. Um, it'd be a lot easier to, you know, base a company like this out of the US where mm-hmm. a lot of, there's a lot of startup funding and there's a lot of news publishers. There's a lot of sort of this kind of thing happening there. Um, so there were questions for me on that front, but I was pretty convinced of the idea. And so, uh, and I felt there was quite a lot of work to be done. So, I, yeah, I decided to just leave my job and, do
0: it
1: full time. Wow. Yeah, great. So I just wanted to welcome Poonam and Ishani to the discussion as well. If you've got questions for Gautam, uh, you know, you know, please uh, drop that in the chat box. And also, if you think that this uh, discussion can benefit someone who is looking at entrepreneurship or starting something on their own, please tag them in because you do a world of favors for them as well. Uh, you know, Gautam, if we look at, you know, in terms of when you decided to, let's say, you know that I want to move out of this and start, uh, you know, Inkle. Did you have a kind of a timeline in mind, and did, you know, did it actually go as planned? Uh, you know, in terms of when do you actually end up launching Yeah,
2: no, these things never go as planned, right? Um, but what I did was, I sort of said, "I'll give this a year." Um, it wasn't even a year. The idea was really uh, probably more like nine uh, months, but you know, stretching out to a year and the question was within that time you know can i raise some capital um and that would then allow me to hire a team and build up a team and then start to work on the project and so the first few months was really sort of thinking about okay what do i need in order to go and raise some capital and so for the first you know eight or nine months i was basically um just doing this myself and paying to have you know some outsourced developers building the first version of the product but really it was a milestone and that's sort of been our history all, all throughout, right? At every stage, we've set a milestone for the business and said, if we cross this milestone, we keep going. If we don't cross this milestone, we stop. And, and that's been pretty useful as a way of sort of thinking about, you know, the decision of whether to do it or not, because otherwise, you end up in this situation where it sort of it just drags on, endlessly. Um, whereas for us, we've always sort of said, okay, well, if we can't get to this target, then we just stop. What thinking. are
1: some of the other challenges apart from, you know, kind of you know building the team and the product? What are some of the other challenges that you experienced? You know, obviously capital raising is one of the biggest, uh, you know, in the challenge when you when you go with uh, just an idea, uh, you know, to investors. But are there any other things that you found as soon as you started to work on that say, oh God, I did not think of this one, you know, or maybe what should we do? You know? How did you navigate? Because why am I asking this question? Because a lot of lot of people, you know, know startup, you know, starting something on their, uh, you know, by themselves, just a, may have just a, you know, typical idea of this is what is involved. They may not know exactly the things that you one needs to think through, throughout, uh, you know, starting up their own, or you know, by the time they launch the product, what are some of the other things that you that surprised you in this process?
2: probably four things that come to mind. One is, the first one is you have to have a lot more discipline around how you use your time because there are no external constraints. And in a job, you're constantly having conversations with your colleagues and your boss about, you know, what to work on. Someone's helping you think about and focus on certain things. When you do your own startup, particularly at the start, no one's there to do that. So you really have to think through yourself. And you also have a very broad, you know, open-ended problem to solve, an unstructured problem. So figuring out which piece to focus on, you know, I can say I can build a PowerPoint, right, and I can spend a month building a PowerPoint, but is that thing you should do, or should you spend two weeks building a PowerPoint and two weeks building an Excel model, or should you just forget the PowerPoint and Excel model and just focus on finding a customer, or should you just say, okay, forget the customer, I want to design the product, right, so you've got an open-ended set of choices, and no one really giving you any guidance, so I think it learning to prioritize and be disciplined about how you spend your time. That's probably the first piece. The second is when you are trying to get things done, you are doing it with a lot fewer resources, which means you have to learn to do things a lot more creatively. In traditional corporate environments, there is a reasonably predictable trade off between time, quality and cost or resources, right? And in a startup, all of a sudden, you don't have those resources. So you've got to say, okay, well, I still need to do this. How am I going to do this? And it forces you to think a lot more about how you can do things without depending on other people. Whereas in a a team, you might say, okay, one person does this, another person does something else, and the third person focuses on something else. Here you have to figure out how you can do all three things without anybody else helping you. So it forces you to be creative and self-sufficient, which is interesting, right? So I ended up learning how to... Um, use Photoshop and sketch and an iMovie and to create videos and you know how to write algorithms and how to uh, code SQL queries and you know uh, how to create HTML, right? And all these things that in a corporate environment, you just don't have to because you've got someone who's a specialist, you can just say, hey, you're a specialist, you do this. Uh, whereas as a startup founder, you end up having to pick up a lot of the skills and do them yourself. The third one is when you're trying to hire people into the team, you immediately find that you're at a disadvantage because as a startup, you can't pay someone what a corporate gig would pay. So you have to hire people very differently and you have to hire people knowing as well that um, not only you're not gonna pay them as much as they will get in a corporate environment, but they're gonna have to work a lot harder. It's gonna be a lot more challenging, right? And so you have to really get them to buy into the purpose and the vision and the mission of the business so that they stay with you and stick it out when things get really tough. Um, and it's also harder to hire people because that idea, or that pitch, that approach doesn't appeal to everybody. And so, again, you know, when you're in an environment, you create a job posting and you know what the market rate is, and you just evaluate a lot of CVs and you say, I'm going to pick the top 10, right? Um, whereas in a startup environment, you can't really do that. So in a startup environment, early stage, especially before your brand is established and people know your startup, um, you know, you it's, it's much harder to attract talent. And then the final piece is the funding. And on the funding, I think the two things that I found in my experience, um, and I should say, I don't generally give people advice, and, and you know, um, I found that I've had some of the worst advice from some of the most intelligent and knowledgeable people. And it's made me think about the nature of advice and the fact that advice is very context dependent So I don't ask for advice and I don't offer advice anymore. What I do is I'm happy to share my ideas and my experience, right? And so my experience has been around the funding side that you're better off finding a venture that fits in with a trend where there are other people working, if not on the exact same idea, but on adjacent ideas. Um, Because one of the challenges for us in our experience has been we're working in a sector that does not attract a lot of capital. And we have a thesis that is a contrarian thesis, which is not about you know, free ad-based news. It's actually about building a paid product that people will subscribe and pay for. And so that has made it much harder for us in the past to attract capital than if we were more on trend and we said, we're gonna do something in FinTech where there's a lot of interest, or we're gonna do this in a business model that everybody understands, right? And those kinds of, and so, In my experience, um, I'd say, yeah, those are probably the biggest challenges that we've encountered.
0: Mm. So when you were confronted, just going back to your first point, because I think it would be really relevant to people that are thinking about doing or have that mindset to do what you're doing, that that first sort of starting point of overwhelm and, you know, what do you do first? How did you decide what was the most important thing to do first in, in starting up?
2: I mean, at the end of the day, it's just about dependencies, right? When you sort of say, okay, you have to know what your goal is. And so if you set a goal and you say, you know, I want to get to $100,000. In fact, there was a really um, helpful conversation I had with a gentleman named Bill Barty. He's one of the smartest venture capital investors here in Australia. And he very early on, you know, he's very kind and, you know, spent a bit of time with me, just talking to me uh, two or three times about, you know, how to think about startup. And one of the things he said was, you know, think about what it's going to take to make your first million dollars and work backwards from there. And so, Mm. you know, and whether, and and maybe a million dollars isn't the goal to aspire for, you know, maybe in the first, maybe that's something you do in year three, maybe in year one, it's just, how am I going to make my first $10,000, right? And work backwards from there. Um, But whether it's the dollar goal or some other goal, I find that having a goal and then working backwards from there is pretty useful because then you sort of figure out what the dependencies are. Mm. You say okay ultimately i want to get here but i can't do that till i do this and i can't do that till i do this and so then it tells you what you need to solve for mm.
0: that makes sense absolutely
1: absolutely i think that's i think for all the four things that you uh, shared gautam is you know all of them are uh, pretty spot on because um you know one of the things that we say in you know in terms of job seeking uh, you know as well that you know sometimes when someone's looking for a job, there are just 30, 40 activities that that person can do. And sometimes you get sucked into, you know, I'll just, you know, you know create a dazzling resume. And then you spend one week in yeah. creating the dazzling resume. By that point, the, the the job is gone and then you lose, oh God, I'm not applying anything. So I think there are just too many things. And it's great that you also put in the, you know, you know on a shoestring budget, you also learn things because I think yeah. it compels you. Like when we started to do LinkedIn Live, we did not have... Lot of ideas of videos and audio. I think maybe is now, you know, moved into. Uh, you know, now she's got a lot of gears, and now she's thinking of how do I now make even better presentations and everything. I think that's that's yeah. what this, you know, this compels you to do. And I really like like that, uh, you know, that thinking around this. Now, let let's say, you know, you know, it's good that you said that you are not going to give advice to people, which is fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, So tell us, you know, if people who are out there wanting to start, what would you say that they should consider? People are looking at, you know what, I've got this idea, I want to do something. What are some of the things that you would ask them to consider? Or what kind of questions do you want them to ask themselves or to their partners or to their clients, whosoever? It gives them an idea around, you know, when to make that move, how long they should think over there, and then make a move. Give us some sense of that.
2: Yeah so look again i can i can only share my own experience right um but what what i can say is that you know for me it came down to a few things one is sort of saying okay financially can i afford to take this risk And how long can I afford to take this risk? And it's really sort of saying, okay, what are the pros and cons of taking that risk? So, you know, for me, if I stayed in my job, there's a certain date by which I would be financially independent and have enough money saved away for retirement, right? But if I took this risk, I could potentially accelerate that timeline. If this risk didn't work out, then it would be delayed by a year because I'd have to go back and find a job, right? And so um, it's that sort of, you know, just thinking clearly for me about, you know, the financial implications, the pros and the cons, and and being very clear about whether it's a financial risk I can take or not. Um, because I, in my experience, like, the startup environment is, like, you know, when, when you start working on it, it becomes all-consuming. And it's very hard to do that if you're also stressed about money at the same time. So, for me, it was pretty helpful to be able to compartmentalize that and say, okay, let me first think about the money risk and decide whether there's something I can do or not. And once I've decided something I can do, then I'm not going to think about that anymore. Yes, I'll make some financial choices about, you know, um, maybe I don't go on holiday, maybe I, you know, don't take taxis, you know, maybe all these kinds of things, but um, I won't be worrying about money now for the next 12 months because I've decided that I'm going to do this. Um, and so, that was the first one. It was really sort of saying, okay, do I even want to do a startup or not? And then for me, the second piece was around the conviction, right? And the idea and saying, is this the one? And, and for me, ultimately it became a question of whether I think this is the biggest problem in the world because you know, I have become convinced that this literally is the biggest problem in the world. You know, we are currently debating reality Right? And people cannot act on reality. So no matter what the cause, whether it's social justice or economic policy or international conflict or technology or anything, every one of those decisions ultimately depends on people getting the right information and people being able to agree. Because we, we live in a consensus, right? Society built on consensus. That consensus is out by news and information. So for me, it was this conviction that this is the largest problem that I can spend my time working on. This is more important than anything else I could spend my time on. And that the idea and the solution that I've got here is correct. So I would keep going back and checking the numbers and checking my assumptions and seeing what different people in the industry were saying, even people who didn't agree with me, you know, seeing what they were saying and testing their logic and testing my own logic and saying, Am I sure that I am correct? And once I had done that, then you know it became a logical sort of decision to say, okay, I should go ahead and do this. Mm. But even at that point, it was always around those milestones, as I said, you know, where if I didn't get to a certain milestone, then that was time to pull the plug on it.
0: Mm. That would be an incredibly hard decision because you would also be very emotionally invested in how far you've come along the journey. So having a very sort of practical, objective milestone... To- what kind of support do you have around you to help you make that work? I mean, you're a co-founder, so I assume you've got a balance of talents in, in the business. But what else do you draw upon to, you know, keep yourself moving forward? Look, I think the, I, I try not to think too much about the sunk cost, right? I mean, the sunk cost
2: is what it is, right? Mm. Uh, it's really more a question of whether the market's changing in a way that I thought it was going to change. Mm-hmm. And whether the environment for this idea and this business is becoming more or less favorable. You know, sometimes, mm-hmm. completely out of your control, things change, and you find yourself way out, right? And you sort of say, "Okay, I thought things were going to go this way. All of a sudden, it's gone that way. Uh, my idea is dead, right?" And that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, other times, you say, "Well, actually, things are going exactly the way I thought they were going to go." But like in Inkel's case, it was slower, right? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that paywalls were going to go up. We saw that free news was going to deteriorate. We knew that people were going to get concerned about the quality of information and fake news was going to be a problem. What we didn't realize was, you know, when I started this business, that it would take six years for those problems mm-hmm. to really mature and develop. We thought that would happen straight away in the next year or two years. So for me, uh, the sunk cost doesn't really matter. It's more sort of just objectively reevaluating it. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, I also think it's useful to be able to have conversations, you know, whether it's with my co founder or my wife or, you know, with close friends and sort of. um, But ultimately, then it goes back to the point on advice, right? Because people, even if they don't mean to, they will offer you advice, Mm -hmm. right? And that is very dangerous because advice always sounds like someone telling you what you should do, Mm -hmm. right? And the thing that I have found is that it is incredibly important to take that advice and to deconstruct it and say, Mm -hmm. okay, you're telling me what I should do, but what I want to understand is what are your ideas and what is the experience that is in this advice? Mm -hmm. And then I'll take those ideas and that experience and evaluate it for myself. Mm -hmm. And I will decide whether that is actually correct or not, because Mm -hmm. it may have been correct in your context or maybe correct based on your lens, or maybe correct for you, but it may not be correct for me. And that's harder to do when the advice is coming from a spouse, or from a friend, or from you know co-founder, or someone. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think it's an individual decision. I mean, mm-hmm. You can talk to a lot of people, but you have to you have to live with it. So you have to come to the conclusion yourself.
0: Mm. I think it's absolute gold that you know who you take advice from because I think when you're uncertain, you're looking for certainty, and if somebody has a level of conviction and some level of experience, it's easy to go, okay, well that that's the path that I should go. I just want to share a little experience that I had a, a couple of years ago, I went to Women in Business um, Forum, and the idea was to find your tribe of five. So five people at the same stage. Um, and you would bring a business problem that you had and everybody around the table would share some insight, but only if they'd solve that problem themselves. Uh, that, that little instruction seemed to have, <laughs> you know, people have a huge desire to be helpful and share advice and that little, in, little instruction went straight out the window um, as soon as the first person opened their mouth and it was quite quite remarkable about, you know, left, right and centre, all of the, you know, the ideas being thrown and, you know, sifting through those was a real challenge. So I think it's absolute gold, that piece of wisdom that you've shared with everybody um, around what advice and how to how to be it and understand the context and that type of thing.
2: And I think there's a particular problem in the startup environment
0: there because mm.
2: there is a whole ecosystem built around giving startups advice. <laughs> uh, there are all sorts of um, you know, uh, individuals and publications and podcasts and all kinds of things that you know all are trying to tell you what to do. And as a startup founder, you're dealing with a lot of uncertainty and you don't have that support all of a sudden. So you're very vulnerable to it. You say, well, someone, yes, tell me what to do. Um, but it's, it's very dangerous in my experience, you know, to do that. Because as I said, like, some of the smartest people have given me some of the, you know, the most incorrect advice for mm-hmm. my particular situation at that time. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe... Uh, <laughs> That in itself is a piece of advice. I'm not taking advice, so so I don't know.
0: <laughs> It's perfect. <laughs> no.
1: Excellent, excellent. No, look, it's been fascinating to you know pick up your ideas and and also your your experience so far starting uh, Inkel. If people want to find out what what Inkel is, go to i n k l dot com. It's world's best news app, and it's uh, you, know, you get. The best of the resources, the best of the um, you know information and the, the credible information. I think that's the that's the most important part. We are still fighting in US about whether who has won the election or not, right? So I think that just shows the magnitude of uh, you know unreliable fake news out there, uh, and we won't we don't want to debate on that. But again, Dalton, thank you very much for making time to talk My to uh, you know to all our listeners. Thank you again.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Happy to do it. Thank you
0: all. I absolutely wish you all the best with it because I think, it, yes, nesh says it, it's um, absolutely sorely needed in in this environment. So, yeah, th- I'm just echoing what Nash says. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. All right. Now tomorrow, tomorrow I will be in Melbourne and Caroline will still be in Paintsville and we are talking to Kate McGeary. Her story of someone who was homeless at a very early You know, in her early teens and how she became a business queen out of it's a fascinating, inspirational story, and it also comes as part of our Nado Quick celebration. Also, so do join us tomorrow where we are going to chat with Kate McGeary at 3 p.m. Melbourne time. Until we see you tomorrow, please look after yourself and your loved ones, and bye for now. Thank you very much. Bye for now. now. Thank you everyone for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au and if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that.